Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. Well, let's uh, let's take out our Bibles. We're going to be in uh, 1 Timothy chapter number 6 here this morning. And... Um, <clears throat> Uh, we, the elders, were, were talking and conversing about um, teaching and, and doing our um, series uh, things, and for some reason, I had not realized it, but we actually started going through First Timothy back in uh, February of uh, 2022, um, so I think this is really great that we were able to teach through this book. And uh, going to be finishing it up here today, looking at a section of verses that we did not get to cover, uh, and that's going to be verses 13 through 16. That's where we'll find ourselves uh, here this morning out of 1 Timothy 6. Now, let me refresh your memory of what Paul has been writing to Timothy. Um, Timothy was uh, really a young man. I mean, as far as we know, he might have been about 30, 35 years old or so. Uh, he was kind of uh, Timothy's, uh, he was Paul's protege, and uh, Paul had been working with him, training him. Paul now, of course, is in prison. Uh, he's not going to be getting out. In fact, uh, you find later on in uh, the book of uh, 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, he says, the time of my departure is at hand. Um, he, he, Paul knows that he's going to be beheaded and he's going to uh, ultimately die and, and then be in the presence of Jesus. But uh, Paul had been pouring his life into Timothy, and uh, basically Paul sent Timothy back to these churches that Paul had established, and uh, he says, all right, Timothy, you're going to pick up where I left off, and I want you to go. And at this time, Paul, uh, Timothy was at uh, the church at Ephesus, and he tells Timothy how to do things in the church. Uh, he tells them, all right, this is how you're going to establish uh, eldership. This is how you're going to establish deacons. This is how the church needs to operate, how it needs to function. Uh, Timothy, you also need to deal with some false teachers that have crept in the church, and you need to be very bold. We know that uh, Timothy was kind of timid. Uh, he wasn't uh, really going to say anything, you know, and Paul's like, Timothy, you got to be bold. you got to have to confront these guys that are teaching things that are not right. And so he spends some time with him and, uh, and talks about all these things out of uh, 1 Timothy uh, as we've gone through and uh, seen a lot of that. Now, in this passage that we're going to be looking at, Paul really has eternity in his mind. Uh, he's, he's looking ahead to what is coming. Uh, he's keeping in his, uh, in his sight the, the return of Jesus Christ, and he's living that way, and I believe that's the way that all of us should be living. We should be living our lives in such a way that we are living our lives for eternity, because this life is going to pass away, as what First John tells us. This life and all the lust thereof is going to be passed away. And so we need to be living our lives in light of eternity. How is this going to affect me for all of eternity? You know, our lives are so short. Um, a lot of them get cut sh very short. Uh, so what are we going to be doing with our lives here and now and how it will affect us 
for all of eternity. And so he has this eternity in his perspective. Jesus Christ is returning. And when he returns, what will your life and my life amount to? Think of everything that you have toiled for, worked for, spent time on, thrown money at. What's it going to amount to? When Christ returns, and he is returning, when Christ returns, what will our life amount to? That's what Paul's thrust is here in this, uh, in this passage and, and his uh, thoughts here. When Christ returns, will you be found as one that is being faithful to the end? So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. Be ready for Christ's return by living in his presence and knowing he is Lord over all. Be ready for Christ's return by living in his presence and knowing he is Lord over all. So let's take note here of our passage. And I want to give you just two things here this morning about being faithful till Christ returns. First of all, I want you to take notice here. We have been commanded to be faithful. Commanded. Notice what Paul writes to Timothy here. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. What is he charging him? To keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy, I charge you to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. Did you know that your life and my life, the way that we live our lives as a testimony for Jesus Christ, we are to remain faithful until Christ returns. It is not to have, bring a reproach. It's not supposed to be with stain. Why? Because when it does have stain and it does bring a reproach, it weakens and it waters down our message that Christ is Lord of all. And that he is our sovereign, that he is our king, that he is the one that we worship and serve. And this is why it's so important to remain faithful till Christ returns. What does Paul mean by the commandment? What commandment? Well, I believe in light of the context and the, the thrust here of the whole book, the best view is that Paul means that Timothy maintain his personal integrity and that he discharge his ministry above reproach. We see this clearly laid out for us in 1 Timothy 4.16. Paul told Timothy to pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. In 1 Timothy 6.20, he said to Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. He is charging Timothy before God that he is to live in such a manner that neither his personal life nor his ministry would bring any blot on the name of Jesus Christ. And by the way, you and I, if you know Jesus as your Savior, 
you and I are ministers of Christ. A minister is not just somebody who stands up here and teaches out of the word of God. If you know Jesus, you are a minister of Christ. So is my life, is your life, a faithful witness of Jesus? Or is it bringing reproach? Is it bringing a stain on the name of Christ? He is charging Timothy before God that he live this way. I'd like to pose a question to ourselves today. How is our relationship with God? Now, I'm not asking how many times you attend church, how many times you pray over a meal, how many times you do Christian things and participate in Christian activities. I'm asking you, how is your relationship with God? Not only on the surface, but underneath. Timothy was a minister of the gospel. He gave his life for the ministry to preach the word, teach people the word of God, to rebuke false teachers, encourage others to live for Christ. And yet Paul, I find it very interesting. Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you need to make sure you remain faithful till the end. I mean, if anybody should have it right, we would think, Timothy would have it correct, right? But yet Paul still encourages him and tells him, remain faithful till the end, till Jesus comes. This type of faithfulness is marrow deep. This type of faithfulness rests on a foundation beneath the surface where no one but you and God can see. That foundation is laid a brick at a time as you live each day with your thoughts and private deeds laid bare before the God who sees all and knows all. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from God, but everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of Him in whom we must render an account. God knows every little thing that you and I participate in, think about, and do. Are we remaining faithful to Christ and the gospel? Or is it only surface things? Is it deep? This is what Paul is encouraging Timothy to be, to remain faithful, Timothy, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is a living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit and joints from marrow. It is able to judge the desires and the thoughts of the heart. Are we spending time each day alone with God, opening our hearts to Him, are we allowing his word to search the thoughts and the intents of our hearts? Are we judging sinful thoughts, confessing them to God and forsaking them as we seek after him to set our minds on the things above? See, this is the type of living that we are commanded to be living like. I think it's so easy for us to live our lives in deceit. Why is that? 
Because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. This is why there's a constant theme over and over and over in Scripture. I mean, you can clearly see it all throughout Scripture. And what is that theme? Repent of your sin, forsake your sin, renew your mind, walk in the Spirit, be faithful to Christ. And Scripture tells us over and over and over that this is how we need to live. And it all begins in our hearts. Jesus is coming back, and when he returns, will he find us being faithful? Paul is going to give Timothy three things of how to remain faithful, and I hope these things will be a help to us as we remind ourselves of how to be faithful. Because I believe if we found ourselves indulging in sin or the flesh, I think if we capture what what Paul is saying here to Timothy, how to remain faithful, I believe it will help us. I believe it it will bring us back to an understanding of who God is and that we need to have our hearts set on him. So here's the second thing. Remain faithful through God's presence, Christ's coming, and his rule over all. Notice what Paul says here, okay? If we are going to remain faithful, first of all, God's presence will help us pursue a life of faithfulness. Take note what he says here in verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Why both? Why both? Why not just say in the presence of God? Or in the presence of Jesus here? Well, because both God the Father and Christ are listening in and watching as he gives this charge to Timothy. The wedding that uh, Don talked about uh, yesterday, um, I was asked to officiate that. And I don't think, you know, the, the groom and the bride, I, I don't think it, it really weighs on them at that moment. Because you can tell, I mean, they're kind of out of it, you know. And, and you know, they're, they're giving their, their uh, uh, the vows towards one another. And you can just tell, you know, it's just kind of like they're like a robot. They're up there repeating things, right? But I don't think the gravity of them realizing that they are making a covenant before God. God sees it. He's hearing it. And they're making a promise before God. I will love you till the end. I promise, right? Paul is telling Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God. And I believe when we understand and realize that God is always watching, he's always listening, and if we remember that God and Christ are always with us, I believe this will motivate us to live each moment to please him, whether or not anyone else is there. When we go to the store, when we're by ourselves, God is watching. He's listening. He sees all. And we need to live in such a way 
that we need to be faithful. Note how Paul describes both God and Christ here. He says, God who gives life to all things. Then note what he says about Jesus. He says, Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Boy, think about that scene when Christ, he was going to be going to the cross And Pontius Pilate is asking him questions. Are you a king? You say that I'm a king. king, My kingdom is not of this world. He said, don't you know that I could just call immediately and the angels would come and fight for me. But my kingdom is not of this world. And Paul gives these, these examples here that God who gives life to all things And about Jesus and his testimony before Pontius Pilate. Why does he use these descriptions? Because Timothy was facing some difficult things in the church that he was at. There was a there was a probably a a, a temptation to kind of kind of move backward from the fight of remaining faithful and to give in. And Paul says, don't do it. Because Jesus Christ, even as a faithful witness, didn't weaken his testimony before Pontius Pilate. And he remained faithful to the very end. You know, really, there seems to be no lack of unfaithfulness in the world today. But a faithful man or a woman of God, where are they? Where are they? Where the faithful men and the faithful women of God? Where are they? We find in Scripture it says that when God returns to the earth, will he find faith? When it's time to speak truth and stand for truth, even though everyone else speaks against you and you have to stand alone, will you do it? Will you remain faithful? The only way you can is you have to have been laying that foundation a long time ago, brick by brick, remaining faithful. This world is not going to get friendlier to those who follow Jesus. Are we going to be faithful or be a compromiser? We have to remain faithful. Paul wanted Timothy to remember that the God in whose presence he lived and served is both the giver and the sustainer of life itself. If evil men threatened to kill Timothy, God could either preserve him from death or give him courage to be a faithful witness unto death, just like how Jesus was before Pontius Pilate. So we are going to have to be faithful Whatever pressures you and I face to compromise our testimony to God's saving grace in Christ, we can stand firm if we remember the presence of God who gives life to all and Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Notice the second thing he makes mention here. We can remain faithful by understanding about Christ's coming Christ's coming will help us pursue a life of faithfulness. Because he says this, notice what he says. He urges Timothy, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. Although Christ is always present spiritually, 
He is not present currently right now visibly. But you know he is going to return. And every eye will see him. Every eye. And there will be people running to the rocks and to the mountains and saying, fall on us, hide us, cover us up from the face of the wrath of the Lamb. He's returning. And if we keep that in focus of Christ's return, I believe it'll help us remain faithful to the end. Jesus told the 11 disciples as they were anxious about his impending departure not to be troubled, but to trust in God and in him because he was going to prepare a place for them. Then he promised this, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus' second coming is sure as his word. Unless he's a liar or an imposter, which I don't think that's true. But he's coming back. And he will appear. And when he does appear, we who have believed in him will be caught up, as what 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. When will Christ return? I don't know. But I'm sure maybe if you've been watching any world news lately, all of the eyes of the world are turned towards Israel, are they not? Everything that's going on, and then there's a lot of people getting on YouTube now, they're coming out and, oh, you know, this is this, you know, making all these predictions and stuff like that. I find it interesting that they never came on before anything happened and made predictions, but now everything, okay. So they make all this stuff, right? When is Christ returning? I don't know. But it will be at his appointed time. In his timing, it will happen. But this is why we should always remain faithful. When I was growing up, I remember <clears throat> it was me, uh, my brother, I had an older brother, I had a younger sister. And uh, we would get home from school at different times. Uh, my brother was in high school at the time. I believe he got out of uh, school at 2.30. He was home by 3 o'clock. I was in middle school at the time. We got out at 3 o'clock. I got home about 3.15, 3.20. My sister was in grade school. They didn't get out of school till 3.30, so she got home about 3.35 because we live real close to the schools. So our job when we got home from school was to clean the house, okay? We all had separate jobs. Like, I had to clean the kitchen, put the dishes in the dishwasher. I'm still doing that today, by the way. Um, <laughs> do all that stuff, okay? My brother had the bathrooms. My sister had to vacuum the living room, okay? We were, we were supposed to clean the house every single day. My dad got off work at 3 o'clock, and when he got home, the house was supposed to be clean. Well, there were many times that we were goofing off. We didn't do anything. We're watching TV, playing, doing all kinds of goofy stuff. And uh-oh, we see the truck coming down the road. Think what we started to do. <gasps> right? Got to clean, got to get stuff done, because guess what? Dad's coming. And if Dad came home, the house was not clean, guess what? He calmly talked with us and told us how wonderful children we were. Right? No. There was some instruction usually. We don't know when Christ is returning. 
Let me ask you a question. If you knew that Christ was returning a year from now, how would that change your faithfulness to him? If Christ was going to return a month from now, how would that change your faithfulness to him? Would you make some changes in your life? If you knew that tomorrow at 1.37 p.m. that Jesus was returning, what would you do? What changes would you make? You see, we have to be living constantly in the presence of God and realizing Christ is returning. I need to remain faithful. Notice the third thing he says here about God's rule. He says, God's rule over all will help us live a life of faithfulness. Now, this last part here is pretty amazing because notice what he says here. Verse 15, kind of towards the middle there, it says, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. I think I can just picture Paul in prison as he's writing this, and he's telling Timothy, he's urging him, he said, Timothy, remain faithful, Timothy. Remain faithful in the presence of God and remember about Jesus. He remained faithful. Remember Jesus is coming. And I believe as he's remembering and thinking about Christ's coming, he starts to dwell upon who God is. And he starts to have a little praise service there in prison. And he's thinking about God. He's thinking about his majesty, his holiness, his awesomeness of who God is. And Paul is writing about this, and I believe he's getting excited. And he's writing these things, and he gets caught up. And you see this, this outburst of praise of who he thinks of on who God is. You know, as we walk through this outpouring of praise, take it to heart. I believe we need to become captivated by what Paul writes here. I think this is something that is sorely lacking today in most churches. We don't hear teaching on the greatness and the majesty of God. It's all focused on ourselves. We need to become captivated by who God is. We're lost. We've lost our awareness of his holiness and sovereign reign over all. We become fascinated with ourselves and callous to his greatness. Verses like this overwhelm me as I think about preaching on them because I can scarcely grasp them myself. I mean, can you comprehend the fact that God is infinite or that he's holy? I can't. But the word of God tells us this is who he is. So let's look at them here and hopefully... um, God can reveal himself to you through his word. Notice how, what Paul says about who God is. He says that God is blessed. This means that he is perfect and sufficient in and of himself. That all satisfaction and joy are inherent in God's very nature. He did not create the universe or the human race to fulfill some lack in himself. God wasn't lonely or needing fellowship before he created man. Why? Because he had 
God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and all of them are in perfect fellowship with one another. God does not need us. He's not up there wringing his hands, just wishing and hoping and waiting. He's completely sufficient of himself. He doesn't need you or me. Nor is God frustrated or unhappy with the way history is going. He's not going, oh, I didn't see that Hamas thing happen. What in the world? That totally caught me off by surprise here. He knows of all things. He's in total control. Although scripture pictures God as displeased with our disobedience and rebellion, nothing we do can disturb the deep, abiding, settled blessedness of God. The blessed God is the only source of true blessing and joy for his creatures. As Jesus taught in the Beatitudes, we can only know true happiness when we are rightly related to God who possesses such blessedness infinitely in himself. Sure, we can find fleeting happiness in things and relationships, but it doesn't last. Only our relationship with God is where we can find true joy, true peace. We can find a passing pleasure in art and beauty and nature and even in physical relationships, but true and lasting satisfaction can only be found in God himself who is blessed. Notice what else he says about who God is. He says God is the only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Think about that. He alone is the only sovereign. What does that mean? It means that he is the supreme ruler. For those of you that are history buffs, uh, if you can know about uh, the the D-Day invasion... Uh, when Dwight Eisenhower met with Winston Churchill uh, to uh, collaborate the idea of having that large, massive invasion there uh, known as D-Day, Dwight Eisenhower said there has to be one supreme commander in charge of everything. He says, I'm going to be the guy. And all these other guys were squabbling about who's going to be in charge of this, in charge of that, and Finally, they gave Dwight Eisenhower the title of supreme commander to be in charge of the whole invasion. And so we see from here that God alone is the supreme ruler over all. He's the one that delegates authority to earthly kings as he wishes. He puts up kings and takes them down. And by the way, America is under the judgment of God right now. As we can see it, he has given us a king, right? A puppet. God is in control of all these things. The proud Nebuchadnezzar ruled over the greatest kingdom on earth, but God humbled him like a beast of the field. If you remember the story, Nebuchadnezzar starts looking out at all of his kingdom and he's going, look what I have, look what I've done, look what I've accomplished. And God causes Nebuchadnezzar to lose his mind. He starts growing hair like a wild beast. His fingernails start growing really long and he's walking around on all fours and he's eating grass. God humbles Nebuchadnezzar. 
God can do that because he is sovereign. He is in control over all. We see this title. Look at this title. King of kings and Lord of lords. That title is given not only to God the Father, but also given to the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that in his second coming in Revelation 17, 14 and Revelation 19, 16. King of kings and Lord of lords when Jesus returns. Notice what else he says about who God is. He says God alone is immortal, literally free from death. He is the only uncreated, self-existent being who is not subject to death. The Father has life in himself and gives it to whomever he wishes. And Jesus claimed the same divine attribute for himself in John 5, 26 and John 5 and uh, 21. Have you noticed this obsession of wanting to live forever in this life? Literally, have you noticed that? People think that they are not going to die. We're going to live forever. The only way that you are ever going to live forever is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. There's nothing that you can do. And there's some sick things that people are doing in this world today to try to live forever. I'm not going to tell you about them because we have children here. This world is wicked, 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 wicked. And only God himself has life in himself. Notice this next thing. God dwells in unapproachable light. This refers to the splendor of God's inherent glory and especially to his unapproachable holiness. No sinful human being could even dare to draw near to God apart from his grace in Christ. He would be, if, if, it'd be kind of like, could you try to imagine trying to put somebody on the sun? You'd be instantly consumed. Poof. You and I, without Christ, are so sinful that we cannot even approach God's presence. Without Christ, he dwells in unapproachable light. Notice this next thing. God is invisible. It says, whom no man has seen or can see. God is spirit and cannot be apprehended by our finite human senses. We could never come to know such a great and mighty being through our own power, our willpower, human ability. But what did God do? God came down. He left the glories of heaven and he came down and he robed himself in flesh and lived and dwelt among us as Jesus. And he lived among us. And he went to a cross and he died. He took our sin debt on himself and died. Why? To reveal who the Father is. And he's invisible. John 6, 46, Jesus said, Not that any man has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. 
He further claimed that no one knows who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. And so we can't even come to know this sovereign, immortal, unapproachably holy, invisible God unless the Lord Jesus chooses to reveal Himself to us. Remember when uh, Peter was talking to the Lord and the Lord was talking to His disciples and He says, Who do men say that I am? And they're like, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elias, all this stuff. He says, no, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood did not reveal that, but whom? My Father in heaven revealed that to you. And so God reveals who The Son is. The Son reveals who the Father is, that that He is the only Savior. And we turn our hearts in repentance towards Christ and we believe in Him. So with Paul, can we only be overwhelmed with worship as we proclaim, as what he says here, to Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. If we maintain an awareness of the sovereign supremacy of our God, we can also maintain our faithfulness as men and women of God. So I come back to my question for us. How is our relationship with God? Is it surface only or is it deep? Are we remaining faithful when nobody else is looking, when nobody else is watching? Are we faithful? I pray that these words of Scripture would be sober to all of us to remember who God is. He is returning, and we have been charged, commanded to remain faithful till His coming. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.